Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Today, we are joined by ACC Network studio analyst and former Clemson Tiger, Eric McLean, former USC Trojan and NFL linebacker, Brian Cushing, and Valero Alamo Bowl Executive Director, Derek Fox. All of today's guests are brought to you by Prolific One, Next Level Insight, Seat by Seat. Also joining me as she does each week is our on-air producer, Angela Lang. Hello, Angela. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Going into week eight. I'm doing great. I'm enjoying uh, every weekend of college football. It seems like it's more popular this year than than ever, uh, which is hard to imagine. Uh, but I'm really excited about today's show. We have uh, we are packed with great guests. I don't know how we're going to have enough time for all of them. Yeah, I think it's really cool too with our first guest, Eric McLean, who, uh, as you mentioned, an analyst for the ACC Network. He has a podcast of his own, Gramlich and McLean, where they break down ACC football, and he definitely knows a lot about ACC football, being a former Clemson Tiger on the offensive line from 2011 to 2015. Eric, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome in. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. Nick, as you said, crazy, crazy season that has a lot of people's attention. People are jacked up and excited uh, for football, and, and we all know what that means. Bowl season is going to be even more nuts. And so super excited to be with you guys today. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, Eric, you have a, a unique perspective. You you talk about uh, college football as a living, and and you obviously played at Clemson from 2011 to 15. You won, you won 46 games in your career. Uh, that's amazing. Captured two conference championships, made a national championship appearance, played in, I thought it was two Orange Bowls. You said three. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chick-fil-A Bowl, Russell Athletic Bowl, and obviously the national championship. Pretty good career. Tell us about those bowl game experiences. Are there any that stick out to you as being more memorable than the other? Yeah, so three Orange Bowls is, is nuts. So the, the the third one, the first one, was my redshirt freshman year. Uh, so so didn't necessarily play, but got to have the experience and, and got to do the whole song and dance. And it was really cool to see the, you know, just evolution of that bowl game and, and how it changed from 2011 to 2015 when we played in it as a college football playoff, as one of the, you know, early matchups before the national championship. And you know, there, there's so many memories. I am such a big proponent of the bowl season, of the opportunity that it provides, uh, you know, uh, us young folk as, as football players, not only to go and see uh, maybe a different destination or a different place uh, to play against the team that we maybe never would have played against, but also just the, the connection with that community that we go to. I mean, we visited hospitals, we did community service events, uh, going to see, you know, young people who, you know, maybe aren't having the best of time in a hospital that hopefully we bring a little smile, a little joy to their face for a couple of hours. That was always my, my favorite thing. And then just getting out in the community as well, you know, doing different signing things or, or photographs or, or other community service. I know one year around Christmas time, you know, we did a little bit of a toy drive uh, when we were in Orlando for the Russell Athletic Bowl. So that, that was just, it was a lot of fun and, and it's so meaningful you know, to just give back to those communities that host these bowl games. And then there's a lot of fun involved too, right? We're, we're down there for a good time. We're down there for five, six days. Uh, so many team events. I remember when we were in Miami, we, we would go to 
you know, an, an all you can eat kind of meat palace, if you will. And, uh, you know, the offensive line eating thousands of, of you know, these different things and, and just cleaning them out or, or going to theme parks or other fun events that the bowl had. So we were always grateful, super grateful for the extra opportunity for the extra coverage. And, and then, uh, you know, just the fun time that we had as a team in the postseason. Yeah, those are the stories, Eric, that the, you know, the, the fan doesn't realize. They turn the TV on during bowl season. They watch another football game for three hours. But you guys are in town for five, six days, enjoying each other, enjoying teammates. And it's funny you mentioned uh, a steak-eating competition. You guys are all so competitive. It's not limited to the play field. When, <laughs> when, it, when right. it comes to eating, I think you guys might be more competitive than you are on the football field. No question about it, man. And it was funny. When we played LSU, they, they actually kept track of it. And I can't remember it. It might have been like 800 to 900. And I think they they got us by just a little bit. But it, it was so funny to just to see that. And when we got wind of it, we're like, oh, guys, we got to keep going. We, we got to do this thing. Uh, so it, it's so much fun. The, the competition within the competition. Um, and, and then the, really a, another part that I failed to mention was, you know, the media availability. And, and especially the bigger bowls that you go to and especially the playoff. I mean, it, it is such a unique experience for everybody on the team, for folks that, you know, maybe aren't used to having a camera in their face, maybe not used to having a microphone there, that now they get that opportunity because it's just open season. You go into a room and any reporter can walk up to you. And so I, I really appreciated that because, you know, as a, I won't say star player, but as a leader of the team, you know, I was always the one tasked with that. So now when we got to a place where there was just more opportunity for others to get involved, it was just cool to see and, and the stories that you would never know unless you talk to some of those guys. So all in all, bowl season, it presents so many fun opportunities for everybody involved. It's uh, it, it's really a cool thing to have. Now, speaking about uh, being in front of the camera, you've transitioned into a new new career as a studio analyst for the ACC Network. Tell us about that transition and how you're enjoying the job. Yeah, man, it's really been a blessing. I mean, just to continue to be around the game of football uh, in a new way, to be talking about it, analyzing it uh, with some of the best in the business. E.J. Manuel, quarterback at FSU, had many battles with him on the football field. Coach Mark Rick uh, actually played against him twice in college. So it's funny how we have all now come together and, and are on TV, on the ACC network, uh, doing the huddle. But it's just a privilege to continue to talk about this great sport that changes so many people's lives and, and, and to be able to cover it with a company as great as ESPN. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and, and I hope it doesn't end anytime soon. Let's talk about this season a little bit, you know, obviously here at bowl season, we track the number of teams that get their sixth win and are bowl eligible. We've, we have 17 teams thus far that have six wins and punched their ticket to bowl season. 22 teams have five wins and 20 of them are playing this weekend, looking to do the same. Uh, not too many are in the ACC in that group just yet. Now you played in the ACC. Uh, now it's your job to talk about the conference on the ACC network. Some people would say, and I've, I've debated this back in my days in the conference office. Some would say the conference is down because there's no team contending for the playoff. Others might say the league is really strong. Uh, a lot of good teams and they're just beating each other up. Uh, talk about the ACC for a minute. Give us your thoughts on how that uh, and how the conference might shake out this year once the season is over. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, you know, easy to say the league is down because there is Clemson is down. I mean, they, they kind of drive the train. If Alabama was down, we'd probably sit here and say that the SEC was down. If Oklahoma was, we'd say the same thing for the Big 12. So when you have that driver's seat 
that isn't doing their end of the bargain, quote unquote, you know, that's a simple thing to say. But when I'm looking at the records of these teams playing this weekend, four and two, five and one, six and oh, four and two, five and one, five and two, there's a lot of solid teams that are playing right now that are going to be bowl eligible after this weekend. And and so that number is going to increase dramatically for the ACC uh, this weekend alone. And, And I think we're seeing a team like Pittsburgh that is playing at a very high level. They welcome the Tigers uh, to the Steel City for the first time ever. Uh, what a fun matchup that's going to be. Uh, Wake Forest going to Army. I think that's a little bit of a sneaky game that is going to get some people's attention very early. Army has played extremely well against Power 5 teams in their last matchups. Uh, and, and then you have NC State that I think is playing at a really high level right now. Very complimentary football That's just a lot of fun to watch. So those are really the three ranked teams in the conference that I think will have a shot to, you know, really make some noise and to get into those New Year's six type of bowls and uh, maybe even a playoff. If Wake Forest runs the table, you know, I don't think there's any question that an undefeated ACC champion is going to be in this thing. So it's going to be fun to see how it all, you know, really just unfolds and and the fun matchups that we're going to get. I mean, you you talk about some of the mid-level bowls and, and specifically like the Duke Mayo in, in Charlotte. I mean, that bowl right now is on track to have some really big brand name teams in that game. So postseason is going to be a lot of fun. It is for sure. Uh, let's look at the national level a little bit. As much as you'd love Clemson to be in that title hunt every year. So people would say it's good for the sport to have kind of a new mix of teams, right? Uh, Alabama's got a loss. Georgia's at the top. You know, Iowa was in and out of that top four. Cincinnati, um, might be that first group of five team to crack the playoff. Any predictions on how that, that those final four teams that make the playoff might shake out? Yeah, man, Georgia just, they, they look like a different team. They, they look unstoppable. And of course, Clemson got to see them up close and personal. What a defensive battle that was. It was actually a defensive touchdown that ended up winning that game. And just how different would we be looking at this college football season if, if Clemson was able to be on the other end of that defensive touchdown and, and maybe they score one, you know, what did things look like? But, you know, really, I think, as you said there, that the first real opportunity for a G5 team to crack this playoff is going to be really exciting to see. Cincinnati, I, I was interested to see how they played a week ago, finally being in the top four at number three, and, and they played lights out. They have another opportunity to do so against Navy this week. And, and I mean, they're number two in the country, the highest they've ever been rated you know, what are they going to look like? But, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, I I think the big or the big 10 is really the strongest conference as of right now, they might sneak in a couple of people into this playoff. So it's going to be crazy how it shakes up. Uh, I never think you can count Alabama out, especially with only one loss. Those guys are going to be focused and, and, you know, really ramped up. When you look at Nick Saban's history, I believe he's only had two undefeated national champions out of like the 100 that he's won. So this guy's used to not being undefeated, used to running the table when he needs to. And uh, it's going to really shake out to be very interesting. Who's in that final grouping. Well, Eric, we know you're busy. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We really enjoy listening to you on the ACC network. I have a feeling we're going to be listening to you on the air for a long, long time. Uh, Good luck to you. Thanks again. Hey brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys having me and uh, good luck the rest of the season. We're going to take a short break and be right back with former USC Trojan and NFL linebacker Brian Cushing. Stay with us. The first goal of every college football team at the beginning of the season is to win six games and qualify for a bowl game. They've punched their ticket and now are officially bowl bound. 
We're very excited to announce a new tradition with official bowl season gear given out in the locker room moments after winning that sixth game. T-shirts that celebrate the achievement. Fans can join the celebration by going online to bowlseason.com where they can order their own bowl bound t-shirt. Bowl season is a celebration of college football. So celebrate with your team when they become bowl eligible. Welcome back to bowl season stories. Our next guest is former USC Trojan, Brian Cushing. Brian played for the Trojans from 2005 to 2008, was drafted by the Houston Texans in the first round of the 2009 NFL draft and played his entire nine-year NFL career in Houston, retiring in 2017 as the team's all-time leading tackler. Brian, welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys having me. Now, you played on some great USC teams back in the mid-2000s. In fact, in your four years playing there, you went to four Rose Bowl games, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. But you were also a starter in all four. You're one of only two players ever to do that, along with Ohio State's Archie Griffin. Uh, do you ever think about that, how unlikely that is to happen and how special that is? Yeah, uh, it's kind of one of those things that you don't really you know about until, obviously, after it happens. Um, it was kind of an interesting experience going to the Rose Bowl all four years. Um, played a national championship once there, and then the actual Rose Bowl game three times there. So um, we knew the venue well. Uh, it was a very familiar experience and, uh, you know, just be able to, to play in that stadium, which is honestly my all time favorite stadium, college or NFL of all time. Um, it's just a very, very unique experience to play there and uh, very fortunate enough to play there four times. Plus the other times we were able to play against UCLA there. Yeah. I, uh, I know what you're talking about, about that stadium. I, as a fan, uh, first time I walked in, I told people that, I, I kind of felt the building when I walked in. I, I don't yeah. know how else to describe it, but just the history of it. Now yeah. you went three and one of those Rose bowl games. I hate to bring up the one you lost, but that was the national championship game against Texas. And the only reason yeah. I bring it up is it's considered by many to be one of the greatest bowl games ever. What do you remember yeah. about that game? Yeah, it's one of the, the, the greatest bowl games ever. If you were on the Texas sideline, I, I have to agree with you. <laughs> no, but it, it was an incredible experience to be a part of that. Um, I just remember running. So the, that was the first time we had played UCLA at the Coliseum uh, the game before that. So it was my first time ever going to the Rose Bowl. And I just remember running out for the first time and actually seeing the field and seeing the stands were honestly, maybe a little bit more orange than they were Cardinal. Um, and that was um, kind of an eye-opening experience to me and seeing how well the Texas fans traveled and obviously for the national championship. But um, I think it was like that till that time, it was all-time attendance. The stadium was completely packed and it was, uh, there was an aura to it. It was, just, it was just kind of one of those magical nights where, and as far as the game went, you talk about back and forth the entire game. Um, never know if we, we were going to win or lose and, until the final whistle was blown. It was just so intense, so, so back and forth. And um, it, was, it was definitely a learning experience to be a part of um, as a freshman and watching, you know, kind of the, the burnt orange ticker tape come down and, and them celebrating. And uh, I stayed there a little bit longer uh, just to watch it, more in, in, in shock, I think, because I'd never thought that a team – in 2005 could lose a football game to anybody um so it was 
it was something that I will never forget for sure. Now the next year was pretty good to you though. You were named defensive MVP of the 2007 Rose bowl, two and a half sacks. You forced a third quarter fumble that really changed the momentum of that game against Michigan. Do yeah. you consider that maybe one of the bigger highlights of your career? I think so. I think so. It was, it was, it was just a all around tremendous game personally as a team coaching. I mean, we were just kind of firing on all cylinders and uh, we were, we were angry. We weren't in the national championship game. Um, and that can, that can kind of work both two ways for you. You know, either teams are, are kind of bitter and they, they don't play well, or either teams come out and they feel like they still have something to prove. And we did that day against a very good Michigan football team. I mean, the amount of guys on both sides that went to the NFL was just incredible. It was just stack lineup or stack lineup. And, um, we came out, we played lights out. We had a great defensive game plan and I was able to make a lot of plays and, uh, a school that I was heavily considering going to, um, in high school. So it was, uh, it was something for me to prove. And it was something for our, our team to prove. Um, and it was, uh, it was an awesome game. Awesome game. Now let's talk about the bowl game experience in general. It's typically your five or five or six day trip with your friends and your teammates. It's a reward for a successful season. Now yeah. we ask each of our guests this question. It's a little unique for you since you went to the same game each right. of your four years, and it's also located in your school's backyard, but it's still an opportunity to spend time with your teammates, maybe in a part of town that you wouldn't normally hang out. You know, yeah. tell us, do you have any personal bowl stories uh, on or off the field that made the bowl experience more memorable for you? You know, there was a lot of uh, different venues and, and uh, things that we'd went to. Um, Lowry's Beef Bowl, we'd, we'd go bowling. But the thing that I think I remember the most during the bowl prep was the practices. Um, because for me, it was, it was kind of, it was a cool experience because, you know, it's winter break, campus is kind of dead and you're still there working really as the only sport and only students on campus. So for us, it was, it was just kind of something to prove and, and we were there for a reason. Um, and it was, you know, obviously we had a break from our academics at the time. So football was the only thing going on and that was our sole focus. So being able to really hone in and, and attack a game plan for pretty much a month. Um, by the end of it, you kind of want to kill each other because you've just been practicing against each other the whole time. And we were so competitive at the time. Um, but also it was just, it was a bonding experience for us to come together and, um, be able to practice that much and, and know we're playing the team that we've been game planning for that long was, uh, was, was pretty, pretty special. What was it about those USC teams that, that made you guys so good? You said something interesting a minute ago about the 2017, you thought you should be in the national championship game. You weren't right. Mm -hmm. Teams could go, you know, one of two ways your team chose sure. to say, yeah, have a little chip on your shoulder and say, you know, we're going to go out and prove we belonged, Yeah, you know, uh, that's pretty special. What, what was the key to, to, to that, you know, your success in those four years as a team? Yeah, that all started with our head coach. I mean, that all started with Pete. Uh, coach Carroll was an incredible motivator. Um, his sports psychology was just as good as it got. He always kept us motivated. Uh, there was never a dull moment. I just, I always remember walking to every team meeting, never knowing truly what to expect. Um, and it kept, it kept it fun and it kept it interesting. And, and the way he was able to control a room was just astonishing how in a 10 second span, he can have us cracking up laughing. And then with a flip of a switch, dead serious block back in on the game plan was, uh, 
was wild. So it, it all started with him and it, it trickled down through the assistant coaches, Ken Norton, uh, Nick Holt, Todd McNair, just all these guys just reiterated his message so well. And they were all on the same page. It was the closest overall group of coaches and players that I'd ever been associated with. And we truly loved playing together. I mean, every time we stepped on the field, it didn't matter who it was. We, we in our minds, 100% thought we were better. So what do you think is next for your alma mater? Any thoughts on who you'd like to see be the next head coach? Uh, man, um, there, there's some good options out there. Um, all I'm, I, I know is that this next hire, we got to get it right. You know, because it's just been years of um, trying to copy that formula that we had, but it was so unique. I think, I think someone's got to find their own way to do it, um, to get back to that level of success, but to personalize it themselves and, and do it a little bit different. Cause I feel like we've tried to copy that blueprint over and over and over, but the guy that wrote it is going to be the best at doing it. Right. So mm -hmm. unless you get that guy back, it's going to be tough to, uh, to replicate that. So um, I, I know there's a lot of good options out there. I know, in my opinion, there's not a better, no bias here, but no better job in college football to take that's, that's open right now. So I figure like there's, there, there should be a lot of people knocking at the door. And I'm just hoping it's the right person that's, that's chosen for it. Last question for you, Brian. I, I, uh, and I just thought of this as I'm uh, uh, sitting here talking to you. You know, I look at you as a player and, and what I watched of you in college and the NFL, and you strike me as a little bit old school. You're, you're uh, no doubt a tough dude. You're focused. When you're playing football, it's all about the game. It's all about your teammates. It, there's no distractions, right? right. It seems like uh, maybe as a society, but definitely in college football, a lot of kids are getting away from that. You have the NIL issues and some kids are focusing a little bit too much on, on their Instagram and how much money they're going to make. Uh, you have kids that are uh, bailing, uh, bailing on their school. Uh, sure. Things aren't going their way and they're entering the transfer portal right away. I'd love to hear your thought process on that. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic of, of what's going on in college football right now. Um, I think the root of it is social media, in, in my honest opinion. I think when a kid uh, hears from such a young age of how good he is or he's the next so-and-so player, um, no matter how strong-minded you are, you, you start to believe it. Um, and I'm so grateful we did not have that kind of social media and access when I was in school because it did let us focus on football and school more than these kids can now. I think there's, there's too many temptations, there's too many distractions, but I think the best coaches find a way because it's clear not going anywhere. Um, it's, it's going to be around. So I think it starts with, with the, the root of recruiting and, and finding, finding out exactly, not the player so much, but the person that you're recruiting and, and how serious are they about the sport? Um, obviously there's going to be some five-star guys out there that, that talent is through the roof and they're going to take a shot on him. But I think getting to really truly know the player first and how much the actual the game means to him is what's going to separate, uh, one program from another. Um, because it's at the end of the day, it's, it's about the game being played on Saturdays and, and what can you do production wise, health wise during that time? Um, because none of it else matters. So it's, it, it just gets back to me recruiting the right guys um, and continuing to reiterate your core beliefs and your morals and your key message throughout the entire year. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more, Brian. I think, I think 10 years from now, when people are telling stories about the most successful teams of the 2020s, uh, obviously, uh, as you said, uh, talent is going to be a big factor, but I think it's going to be the teams that have the, the best group of guys who, you know, are working together, caring about one another, you know, are, are not selfish. Um, 100%. So, well, Brian, uh, we've taken enough of your time. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll give a shout out. Thanks to Pat Flynn, our mutual friend for uh, helping uh, uh, put us together here and uh, best of luck to you. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate it. We're going to take a short break and be right back with Valero Alamo Bowl Executive Director Derek Fox. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, a celebration of college football that breaks down the moments, the memories, and the magic of college football. Be sure to check out Mic Drop, another podcast powered by Tony Fay PR. Mic Drop pulls back the curtain on the larger-than-life sports scene here in North Texas. From its iconic teams, state-of-the-art venues, and headline-grabbing owners and athletes, we cover it all. Download Mic Drop today. As we do each week, we welcome to Bowl Season Stories an executive director of a bowl game to the podcast. This week, we are honored to welcome the Valero Alamo Bowl executive director, Derek Fox. Derek, welcome to the show. Angela, great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Hey, Derek. How are you doing today? Doing great. I'm here with you, Nick. <laughs> well, there's a lot of better places you could be than being here with me, but we appreciate you joining us. Now, you are the only executive director in the history of the Alamo, Alamo Bowl game, a position you've held for almost 30 years. So clearly you're doing something right. Uh, when the first Alamo Bowl was played in 1992, there were only 18 bowl games total. Now there's 43. How have you seen the Alamo Bowl grow over those years, both in the community and, and amongst the other bowl games as part of bowl season? Well, yeah, great, yeah, great question. You looked at even then, you know, we were the 18th bowl game out of 18, so we were last, right, in in the pecking order. And at that time, people were like, "Are you kidding? Another bowl game? Here we are, you know, 43 bowl or 44 bowls now, and it's a great opportunity and a season-ending reward for student athletes. So there's never too many. It's a great thing and a great sport uh, that we all celebrate at the end of the season. So looking forward to it. But you know, uh, you know, one of the interesting things I, I think back in those times, and, and we got more calls about being a bowling alley than we did about a bowl game. I think when we first got started. So uh, I guess to show the growth we've gotten past that, now people are calling about tickets and sponsorships and want to be a part of it. But like any organization, you had to prove your stripes. You know, we got started. We were a minimum payout bowl. We had the last picks from the Pac-12 and the Southwest Conference at the time, uh, and we were on New Year's Eve. So it's kind of like, all right, if you can overcome, you know, the challenges of getting started in that environment, uh, let's see what you guys can do. And we really tried to, to make this kind of our own winter fiesta. For those people familiar with San Antonio, 10, 11 day celebration in the spring every year. And we try to make this, you know, all about being a part of San Antonio and kind of a family tradition. People have done that now. We see people, we're actually to the age now coming up on our 29th game where we're getting turnover now, you know, maybe the parents are having the kids take over the tickets and those type of things, but really seen it grow uh, from really the, the 18 out of 18 to really, you can say we're seven, eight uh, out of the bowl games currently, as far as, you know, payout, uh, TV ratings, um, selection rights, first teams after the CFP. So we really tried to grow our base of support, uh, which is important because if you don't have that stability here locally, while it's important to have out-of-town fans, you got to grow your local support to really be able to grow your game. Absolutely. You know, we, we talk to uh, bowl directors uh, every week on this show and engaging the community is is near at or near the top of their list of, of things they're trying to accomplish. And, 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 and I don't know if there's a bowl that does it better than you guys. 
you know, you've been committed to making an impact to higher education uh, through team payouts and local sponsorships. Tell us a little bit about that commitment and some of the young people uh, you've helped. Yeah, absolutely. One of the natural extensions of what we do, obviously, people are talking about the, the money coming into San Antonio from an economic impact, which is tremendous, and the exposure is tremendous. But oftentimes people talk, well, the, a lot of the money was going back out, it's going to higher education, going to the teams that were participating, so not sticking here in the local community. But it does, obviously, from that perspective. So we really took that and said, all right, let's extend that. And so the, the theme of higher education is very important. So we created really two scholarship programs. One where it's about a million, it is a million dollars plus every year currently that we contribute, one on a local high school basis. So every high school in San Antonio is guaranteed to have at least one winner, $7,500 scholarship, and it's got a student athlete component. So they have to have at least one varsity athlete, uh, one varsity letter, excuse me, and try to be a well-rounded student, doing other things in the community, being very supportive. The second program that we have is, is with our six local universities, and that's more geared towards getting out, all right? Those kids that are in school, maybe former student athletes now trying to get out into the real world, uh, starting their careers, and hopefully we you know, have them come back and volunteer for us uh, over time as well. But it's fun to see both programs grow. We started off in 2000, I think, with $50,000. You can see now we're up to a million. So certainly growing that, and you see the number of people who are involved. Uh, some do come back and get involved with us currently, but just great stories uh, to see these kids go on and, and we read the resumes and, the, and what's going on. I, I know I certainly couldn't compete for one of these scholarships in today's environment. So congratulations to them. We're proud of them. One of the misconceptions people have about bowl games is that they happen uh, in December and it's uh, all about that one day and nothing else happens the rest of the year and nothing could be further from the truth you've developed the alamo bowls community festival of events into an annual event i saw that it averages a total economic impact in excess of 45 million uh to the san antonio community talk about that development and what steps you took to keep it growing over the years uh, absolutely. We touched on a little bit in the beginning about, you know, trying to make this a festival and it's similar to what Fiesta is here in San Antonio, getting people to be a part of this part of the community year in and year out, independent of the teams. That's one of the things that's very important. Obviously, you want fan travel and those type of things built into it, but you got to have that sustainable support. Uh, but, you know, the, the local support in the, in the community is very, very important to, to what we're doing. Um, and we want to continue to grow that. So having events throughout the course of the year to make it more than a full-time or more, more than the, the question you joke about, but we always say it's a full-time job. Yes. Uh, when we go out and speak, uh, we do really do a lot of other things throughout the course of the year. So we try to have events like our pigskin preview that kind of kicks off the college football season, having ESPN talent come in, speak to our sponsors, go on to a million dollar shootout golf event to you know another golf tournament we have to kick off lunch and you name it. And then we'll have social activities. Matter of fact, we have a little ax throwing contest here next week for our, our group. So again, it's just a social interaction, get people together all leading up to the bowl game. That is our pinnacle event. That's what we exist for, but we wanna be well-rounded and be a part of the community in many different ways too. You mentioned ESPN. They've been a very valuable partner of the Alamo Bowl. Uh, what have they meant to the growth of your game? Absolutely. They've been, they've been with us since day one. Well, uh, technically, they actually weren't our, our first uh, sponsor. We had Raycom. You can remember they go back in these days, Nick, from that perspective. And yes. you were also on the committee way back in the influence days where you had to be pre-certified about a year and a half out. And then you came back in that last April before your first game to be certified. Well, lo and behold, and we were hosting those meetings here in San Antonio. We were notified by Raycom. Ah, just kidding. We're not going to do it. So we had one week to, to find a new televisions partner. Uh, fortunately, we got a hold of Dave Brown and said, hey, you got anything left in your budget <laughs> for TV rights this year? Uh, and 29 years later, here we are. So they've been with us since day one and really growing our game uh, and now put us in the position to annually be one of the marquee primetime games. 
Now you've had Texas and, and TCU uh, in the Alamo bowl in three of the last four years, but you've also had Oklahoma state and Iowa state and Kansas state recently. Uh, what have you seen to be kind of the key impacts on ticket sales and the, in the interest of San Antonio fans and seeing those teams come to town? And, uh, and in addition, do you find that San Antonio gives you an advantage as a destination for those fans? Uh, absolutely. San Antonio is awesome. It's a tremendous tourism destination town, city built for fun. Uh, it, it kind of ironically, if you step back, um, Christmas to New Year's pre-bowl game was the slowest tourism week of the year. They actually drained the Riverwalk. And I remember when we first got here, I was like, no, we got to change that. We're trying to showcase our city, right? Uh, so we did. Uh, and now you have a chance to bring some 30,000 people into town every year. And one of the things we do from a team selection standpoint, yeah, you can watch TV, you can get a sense of, you know, how the teams play, style of play, key players and those type of things. But really the nuances are going up and, and talking to the fans uh, and getting a sense of not all nine and three teams are alike, right? Some of them are getting ready to fire a coach. Some of them have the best year in, in school history. Uh, so you're getting engaged in a sense of those fans each and every week, uh, each and every year, because every year is different. Every fan is different. And this year is especially important. You know, with COVID, people having a propensity to not travel last year, hopefully that's turned around for this year, and really trying to get a sense of enthusiasm, excitement, where those fans are, because keep in mind, those are the ones that are coming down to your community, and let's say they spend $120 for a ticket with us. That's the least expensive thing they're going to do, right? They're going to, you know, get in the car, drive down, they're going to get in a flight, they're going to stay in the hotels, they're going to shop, they're going to go and enjoy the river walk. So it's really important thing to try to get a, a gauge. And is there an exact science? Absolutely not. But you try to put together compelling matchups that will excite the fans to come to our community, which, by the way, is an awesome place to visit, uh, and the local community who supports you every year independent to be excited about those matchups. Now, fortunately, we've also had some very competitive games, uh, so that helps. So we, you try to draw all those things up and, and get the coaches to sign off in overtime ahead of time. That'd be perfect. <laughs> Well, last question for you, Derek, we are exactly halfway through the college football season. Uh, and there's been so many good games. I, I imagine you're expecting another great competitive matchup in this year's Alamo bowl. Uh, any predictions for this year's matchup? Or are you yeah. allowed to do that? We'll go out on the limb and say it'll be a Pac-12 versus a Big 12 team, right? Uh, but, you know, we are fortunate. Uh, it's been great games. And, and how exciting has this year been? Every game you watch, fans in stands this year, lots of them full, no issues, you know, as far as people coming out of the games with, with uh, illnesses from that perspective. And the student athletes got to really love playing in front of fans again. So that's so fun, so exciting. And, and there's nothing better than college football. And the postseason is the best, as you know. No doubt about it. The Valero Alamo Bowl is scheduled for Wednesday, December 29th at 9.15 p.m. Eastern time at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. The game will be broadcast on ESPN. Derek, thank you so much for being on the show. Good luck this bowl season. Great. Thanks for having us on. Have a great time. And thank all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.